Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. of you that don't know, I'm a proud dad right now because that kid in yellow is my boy. Not only is he cute, he's articulate, ladies. And uh, <laughs> hey, uh, listen, I, I just really think it's great when, uh, when kids get involved in the things of God. Um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of my boy for doing that. And I just want to say, if you're, last service, after service, I had a couple people come up to me. And their kids were saying, hey, can I get involved? Like, can I be a, a helper in Sunday school? Can I do this or that? I was like, absolutely. Like, we, we really don't believe you need to be like a certain age. We, we really believe you just need to be empowered and, and get a part of what God's doing. So, um, so I just want to say, if you're a young person and uh, you, you saw my articulate son doing his thing, there's room for you. Come on. <laughs> I'm just glad that, that he's doing things in the house of the Lord and uh, not causing trouble at home. Amen, somebody. <laughs> hey, listen, um, how many of you really don't enjoy going to the doctor? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> it's like everybody. How many of you are medical professionals and you didn't appreciate that question? <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Uh, listen, I, doctors are great. I, I really thank the Lord that we have uh, the doctors, that we have medical professionals that, that can help us. I believe medicine is a gift from God. Okay, I, I believe that. I, I believe you, you need to uh, be able to understand that knowledge comes from the Lord and, uh, and, and wisdom is, comes from him. And so, so we're thankful for medicine. I just know that personally I, I prefer to not have an intimate relationship with my doctor. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 it's good to know your doctor. It's not good when you see them all the time. Like, that's, that's probably not what you're looking for. That, that usually means something's not going as well as you would like it to go. And, uh, and so I, I want to know a doctor. I want to have a good doctor. I just don't, I just don't want to have them know everything. About, like, I don't, I don't want them to see me and, and know everything about me all the time, right? I want them to be like, oh, let me look at your chart to figure out what's going on with you. I'm like, yes, that's what I want. Um, but the truth is, we, we all come from different places when it, in regards to health. Some of you, the moment I start talking about doctors, you're like, I feel itchy. Like, uh, something, like there's something wrong. Like, like, <coughs> like, you start to cough and you think, like, I, 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 there's something, I have COVID. Like, I, I just coughed, I have COVID. And so, like, you're the person that went and got, like, 17 tests in the last year, right? Like, every month, like, the people doing the swabs, they actually had, like, a little batch with your name on it because they, they just... They're just sticking things in your nose all year long, right? And then there's, there's some of us that um, 
you're just super healthy, you know, like you're super proactive, you're athletic, you're amazing, we all admire you and think you're awesome, except for Thanksgiving when everybody's eating ham and turkey, and you're like juicing kale just to like, just to like be better than everybody else, you're just juicing kale and eating granola for Thanksgiving, calm down. I know someone that, that has done that, <laughs> my wife's uncle. Okay, so, <clears throat> and, and whether... <laughs> And, and whether you are really unconcerned and you feel like health-wise you're doing pretty good or maybe for you, you do have some health concerns in the back of your mind or maybe for you, you actually have a looming cloud over your head, um, I just want you to know that I think we all desire health, don't we? We got one. We got one. I just desire to be healthy. Okay, I preach better if you talk to me. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. I, I, before service, I had someone come up to me and tell me that, that they'd gone back to the, the doctor about the cancer they'd been dealing with. And the doctor said, the cancer's not in remission. It's gone. He's like, I, he's like, I got prayed for you. Right here, come on. He said... I got prayed for during a, during a worship and prayer night, and he said, and, and he said the doctor expected it to go into remission. And he said, and when the doctor looked, he said, it's not on remission. It's <laughs> but we all desire physical health, and, and I would say this: we all ultimately desire spiritual health, don't we? Like at the end of the day, you didn't come here to hear good music, which it was really good music. Come on, it's really good. I, I like that. <clears throat> you, didn't, you didn't come here uh, to, to hear a, a preacher preach, right? You, you didn't do that. You came because you, at the bottom of your core, there's something inside of you that says, I want to be spiritually healthy. Like, I, I want to be in a good place in my soul. Like, that's why people around the world, not just in America, around the world are pursuing God. Because inside of us, the Bible says this, that he has placed eternity on the hearts of man. That means there's this thing inside of us that says, I want to be right with God. I, I want to be healthy. I want to be good with God. And I think my question would be this, how do I know? How do I know if I'm on the right track to being right with God? Like, is there a way I can measure, some, there's some sort of metric, some sort of measurable to see if I'm doing well spiritually? What, what would it be if there was something out there to know if I'm spiritually healthy? Listen, today, I'm going to give you a metric for what it looks like to be spiritually healthy. But before I do, I want to say this. If you're an unbeliever here, maybe you just came because your friend is getting baptized and you're being honoring, or maybe your, your mother invited you to church and you know you're getting free lunch afterwards. Um, good for you. Like, that's great. What I want to say is what I'm about to say doesn't apply to you. This is for believers. So you get a peek in on what the expectation of the metric for what a, what a healthy believer looks like right now. All right? Here's what Jesus said. This is Jesus' final night on earth. He's going to the cross the next day. He's fully aware that this is, this is it. 
and he has an opportunity to instill in his disciples his final message. Famous last words, like the, the moment to say the things that matter most. And here's what he says. It's in John 13, verse 34. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Everyone say, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He doesn't say people will know you're my disciples if you carry a Thompson chain King James Bible that weighs five pounds and walk around town. He doesn't say people will know you're my disciples if you sign up with the correct denomination. He doesn't say they'll know you're my disciples if you pass out Bible tracts in the mall. He says they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. There should be this thing about Christians that is just attractive to the world around them. And it's their love for each other. Like, like the world around should look at believers and think, I, I don't understand why. They're not related. They, they simply go to church together. But there's an affinity there. There's a closeness there that I desire. That's what it should look like. Jesus, that, that's what he says in verse or chapter 13. But, but he goes on. Like this is the last night. Final words. Jesus says this in John 15 verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Je Jesus gives us a command to love. Like it's not, he's not suggesting. Like, you know, it would be really nice if you guys treated each other well. Like he's not suggesting. He's not saying, I would really like it if you loved each other. No, no, no. Jesus is saying, this is a command from heaven. Love one another. And this is, this is really incredible because he, he's, he's demanding that we love each other. There's, there's three Greek, or there's four, sorry, there's four Greek words for love. There's uh, storge, which is like uh, an affectionate love, which would be like the love of a grandparent. Uh, towards their, their grandchildren, something like that, like an affectionate love. There's eros, which would be a romantic type love, physical love uh, between spouses. There's um, phileo, which would be an, uh, uh, a familial love, like brothers and sisters that love each other. And then there's this word agape, which is really, uh, it's, it's not a, an emotion, it's a behavioral love. We often say agape love is God love. Well, it's the, it's the Greek word that is used to describe God love. There are other Greek words used to describe God love. Like phileo is used to describe God's love towards us. But in this spot, he's saying, I, I command you to agape, to, to love each other. Not, you realize you can't command an emotion out of somebody, right? Right now, I command you all to be ashamed 
be ashamed. Like, no, no one's being, no, like, you're, you're not listening to me, be ashamed. You're not, you're not, okay. I, I command you to be fearful right now. I'm not getting much of a reaction out of any of it, right? Because you, you, can't, you can't command an emotion. And I know this because I'm a parent. Come on, somebody. It doesn't work because, you know, we used to have this car and all three kids would sit in the backseat of the car. And then we realized that was not the will of the Lord. The Lord's will is to put them as far away from mom and dad while we're driving <laughs> as possible. So the Lord invented these things called minivans, amen, somebody. <clears throat> and the beauty of a minivan is you can take out the seats that are right behind mom and dad and you can send those suckers to the back of the bus. Right? It just it tones it down a little bit. It gets them a little quieter. They're, they're back, and, but it seems like inevitably, like at some point, there, there will there'll just be this, this little rumble, this silent rumbling. It starts out as like, don't touch me, don't, don't touch me, don't touch me. And the next thing you know, it is like World War III in the backseat of the car. Like, ah! Like, maybe your kids are, are perfect, but my kids, we, we love... Emotionally sometimes. And I'll be like, calm down. Hey, you need to calm down. Hey, you need to treat yourself. You need to calm down. You need to calm. Well, you calm down back there. And my wife will be like, actually, honey, how about you calm? You need to calm down. Don't tell me to calm down. Because <laughs> like, you, you, you can't just tell them, just calm down. Like their, their emotions are already raging. Right, you calm down. It's not, that's not how it works. Now, now I could tell them, breathe in. Breathe out. That's what, we, that's what we tell them. We say, breathe. Or we say, walk away. <laughs> just walk away. But calm down. Like, just you, change your emotions. That's not how it works, right? It's not, you don't just command emotions. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, be emotional towards each other. That's not what he's saying. I think sometimes men in the American church struggle with the church because of things like this. We misunderstand. We think, oh, he wants me to be really like soft and gentle and something I'm not. I've got rough edges. How do I love one another? It's because there's a misunderstanding of what the Greek word is. It's not like, like a, an affectionate love like you would have towards a dog. Oh, it's a feeling. Oh, dogs, I love dogs. I love dogs. It's not phileo, right? The familial love you have towards family members. Like, oh, I'm just so proud of him and her. Like, oh, that's not what it is. It's not eros. It's not like this uh, romantic desire type love. That's not what it is. It's agape. It is a behavioral action. So when he says love one another, he's not saying feel a certain way towards each other. He's saying Roll up your sleeves and do something towards one another. Be loving towards each other. I, uh, I'm not a huge fan of, of the doctor, but when I do go to the doctor, like, it, it seems that usually you know what you need, right? Like, Baby's got an earache. I need amoxicillin. So you go to the doctor. You call the doctor first. You're like, hey, I need some amoxicillin. Well, we need to do an appointment. I don't need an appointment. I need amoxicillin to get rid of the earache. That's what I need, right? Any parents ever been there? 
You're like, just, just give me this. And they're like, no, 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 we got to do an appointment. So they bring you in to the doctor's office, and then they're like, okay, baby, get up on the, on the little chair that's got the real crinkly loud papers. The little kid gets up on it, and they start swinging their legs, and there's a super loud, you can't hear anything in the room. And, and they start doing checks, right? They, they get out the little, the little funnel thing they put in the ears, and they're looking in the baby's ears. And you're like, I just need amoxicillin. And then they, then they take baby and put it on a scale, and they're weighing the baby. And you're like, I don't need you to weigh my baby. I just need amoxicillin. And then they check the baby's height, and they're like writing it down. And like, I don't need you to measure the baby's height. I just need amoxicillin. <laughs> you know? that's, 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 and they're checking the, the, the lungs. And then they do this one thing. They're checking the blood pressure. and It's like, I just want you to write me a prescription for my baby's ears. But then they do this one thing. It doesn't require any instruments. It doesn't require um, any medical devices. They take two fingers and they place them right here. Or they take two fingers and they place them right here. And they start, they look at a clock and they're counting. Now, whenever they do it to me, I, I'm always like, like okay, so like, like I just need some penicillin. Like I, I like, <laughs> like I have an infection. I just I just need you to write me a prescription. <laughs> some amoxicillin for the baby's ears. And they're like, stop talking, stop talking, stop talking. Because what they're doing is they're they're checking what's called vitals. Because if you don't have a pulse, you have a much bigger problem than amoxicillin. And I think a lot of times in Christianity, we, we go around, we're doing all this stuff, and we're like, like I, I know what the solution, I have the answer, I, 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 I'm, I'm doing these spiritual disciplines, I'm, I'm reading this book, I'm running this, I'm going, I'm doing, and, and I think sometimes we just need to come back and be like, but do you have the spiritual pulse that Jesus said was like the one vital constant that should be in a believer's life? Let me say it like this, love, behavioral love, is the spiritual pulse in the life of a believer. Jesus says it like this in the next verse. He says, greater love has, has, has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for a friend. He's saying the, the idea, is, it's not, greater love has no one than this, then they just get butterflies in their tummy when they walk by. That's not what he says. He says, greater love, it, there's nothing greater than this, than someone that would actually lay down their life, that would inconvenience them, themselves, would put themselves out for someone else. Does anybody have any good friends? You got a good friend? You guys have more friends than first service. I'm just, I'd like to make a note of that. You are loved. Anybody have like really bad friends? <laughs> you got the bad you got bad friends that you're like barely raising your hand. That's because you're sitting next to them. Just don't look. Just look forward. Eyes forward. You know what I'm saying? Just text them right now. Be like, hey, I think you're a bad, I just told the pastor you're a bad friend. Right? Just text them. Text them right now. Don't worry. They're not even going to read your text. They're a bad friend. They're not even going to read it. But, but we, have, we have good friends and bad friends. And Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, I, I love you because you've gone from being just my followers, just my disciples. You are now friends. I call you friends. We are friends with Jesus. And my question to you is this. Are you a good friend of Jesus? Like, do you have the kind of spiritual pulse that a good friend has? Not that they're looking just to always feel the emotion of faith. 
but that they actively, behaviorally love others. This passage in John is interesting because John, the apostle, is, is the one recording it. I re- John is my, my favorite New Testament writer. But what's interesting is when he's writing these words, Jesus saying, a new commandment I give to you. And then he follows it up with, a commandment I give to you, that you love one another. John is like in his early teens. He's, 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 a, he's, he's not an old man. He's not a mature man. He's a teenager. He's in Jesus' youth group. And he hears Jesus say, this is the command I give you, that you love one another. And I'm just thankful that God is willing to use young people to do his work. I'm just thankful that God doesn't say you have to be spiritually mature and have your whole act together to be able to do things for the kingdom of God, but he'll use young people. And someone around here might say, man, it seems like you, you use, like a lot of young people get involved around here. Like, well, what's the deal with that? What the deal is, is this. This preacher was told when I was a young minister that I had nothing to say until I was 30 years old. And I'll tell you what. I will never say that. What I'll say is we'll coach you, we'll train you, we'll give you feedback. We'll make sure that what you're saying is accurate. But, but, but we want you on the front lines. We want you running. We want you speaking the word of God. We want you doing the things of God. Jesus didn't exclude him because he wasn't, wasn't ready. But then the cool thing is, that John doesn't just finish writing the book of John. He actually writes more books. He writes the book of Revelation. And, and the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are also attributed to him. Which tells me this, that God isn't just interested in using young people. Because when he writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, we're talking about like a man that's in his 80s at this point. So he was a teenager when Jesus was first ministering to him. Now he's in his 80s and he's being used by God. And I'm thankful that God is no respecter of age. That when I'm old and I feel like maybe my best days are done, that's not true. Because what John does is he reaches back to the things God had already done and uses them again. Like he uses those landmarks, those memorials as a leverage for the next generation of believers and I just want to say to somebody today that you may feel like your best days in the house of God are over. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie. This generation needs your voice. We need your prayers. We need your experience. We need your wisdom. Don't sit on the sidelines and just allow things to go just the way they might happen but instead shape and mold the next generation. This is what he says. So now he's old. He's in, writing in 1 John. He's, he's old man, in mid-80s. And he says this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He, he's reaching back. This is the message that I heard when I was a teenager, that you should love one another. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. He's saying we know that there's been a spiritual resurrection in our life when we love other people. We pass from death to life because we, not because of an emotion, but because we do some sort of a behavior that looks like love. Whoever does not abide in love abides in death. 
I'm just trying to tell somebody today, maybe you came and you, you, you're just thinking, what you really need is just, you know, 17 steps to a better marriage. You, what I really need, Pastor, is for you to really break down the eschatological um, implications of uh, our current events. Like, well, what I really need is for you to get deep. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Listen, if you don't have a pulse... You need a resurrection, not acetaminophen. Like, like if, if there's not a pulse of spiritually love, like, like loving other people around you, then you don't need a quick fix. You don't need 17 answers. You don't need three steps to a better life. You need love in your life. It'll transform your world because love is the spiritual pulse in a believer's life. If I have everything else, but I don't have love, I've missed the entire point. What, what I'm saying is you can, you can say all the right things, you can memorize all the right Bible verses, but if you don't have love, you have missed the point. He goes on and he says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that murderers, that, that, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He's saying this. He's saying you, you can tell if you have life or if you have death in you based on your pulse. He, he's saying that you can actually, like Jesus says this, right? He says, if you have hate in your heart towards somebody else. You've committed the sin of murder. Because Jesus is saying, like, in our world, we like loopholes. We like, like, I didn't do it. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Let's not talk about whether you did it or didn't do it. Let's talk about what's in your heart. Because your pulse will tell. Like, you can have a, a really fast pulse, right? Let, let's say, like, your spiritual pulse is just too, like, oh, I love people, Pastor. I love, I love people a lot. Like, like I'm, like, in fact, I could be categorized as a people pleaser. Like, my, my, my pulse is just always going. I'm just, anybody that needs help, I'm there to help them. Like, anytime that, that somebody needs me to bend over backwards, I'll bend over backwards. Like, constantly, like, like accepting, like, accepting every wind of false doctrine because you don't want to offend Anybody, like, like just, just constantly, like, like no, 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 I, I, like, I love everybody. My pulse is fast. Having a good spiritual pulse doesn't mean that you're everyone else's doormat. In fact, in Leviticus 17, when the idea of loving your neighbor is first introduced, it's introduced in the context of being willing to speak truth to your neighbor. So it's not... A fast pulse would be like you're just, just oh, I love everybody, but, but I inside I'm dying because I'm just, I've got no time for me. And maybe a slow pulse would be that you're just really tight-fisted with your things, your time, your money, your emotions, your abilities, super tight-fisted. You don't, you don't want to, you come to church, you do your duty because... That's what I do. I'm an American and I'm a Christian. And so I go to church. But the truth is, anytime that you express love and serve somebody, you want them to feel guilty for it. Oh, I'll, I'll help you. 
but I'm going to mumble under my breath so that you know that you're putting me out. That's, that's a super slow pace. So we can have a really fast pace or a really slow pace. What God is calling us to is a healthy pulse. A healthy pulse of love in your life comes from a place of security in your position with God. Like knowing that I am fully loved by God so I can fully love other people. I'm fully loved by God so I don't have to chase your approval. I'm not, I'm not loving you for approval. Like, like I'm not loving you so that I, or I'm not avoiding loving you so I can maintain my, my, my energies. I'm fully loved by God. So when I see a need, I can meet the need. And when I see, see someone that needs help, I can make, meet that need. I can help them. Fully approved of God. He says this. In John 3, uh, 1 John 3.16, he says, by this, we know love. Okay, so watch. I've been talking about love, and somebody's like, but I don't really understand how to do it. He actually removes that, that option for you. He says, if you're a believer, you get what I'm talking about. Because you've experienced ultimate love that was not an emotion. It was a behavior. You've experienced it. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What am I saying? What I'm saying is like laying down your life for somebody else. So are you saying I have to die? No, I'm not saying you have to die. What I'm saying is that perhaps you could inconvenience yourself for someone else. Perhaps you could go with a little less so that you could help someone else who has even less. Maybe it looks like providing dinner for a friend after a long day and you know they're exhausted. It could look like fostering someone else's child. It could, like, could look like not overreacting but being a peacemaker. It could look like sticking up for the disenfranchised and the disadvantaged. It could look like serving someone else in need. It could, like, could look like preferring someone else over yourself. It could look like just using your life to demonstrate the love of Christ. No, what I'm saying, like, so when I lived in Alaska, I, I, I lived in this little town called Eagle River, and, and I remember I would, I would uh, uh, my neighbor's lawn, I, I, would, I would mow my lawn, and then I'd go over and I'd mow my neighbor's lawn all the time. I'd do it. And, and for the first, I don't know, several weeks that I did it, uh, I, I, he would never come out. And then one day I saw, I saw like, his, his blind, like, what the heck is this guy doing mowing my lawn? And so one day he came out and, and he starts, I start talking to him and, and uh, he's like, hey, what are you mowing my lawn for? And I was like, hey, man, I'm just, uh, you know, I pastor this church on the road, but I just really felt like I, I wanted to express the love of God to you. Like he's done a lot for me. I just want to do something for you. That's all it is. I'm just, I'm just saying God loves you. He's like, you, do you know what I do? And I did know what he did. He owned the biggest strip club in the whole city. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know what you do. He's like, but, but pastors don't talk to me. I was like, well, this pastor's mowing your lawn. And so I kept mowing his lawn for like a year and a half, maybe two years, mowing his lawn, just, just mowing his lawn and come out and start talking and we drink iced tea and sit on the lawn and talk and I keep mowing his lawn. And let me tell you, this guy that owned the biggest strip club in town ended up coming to our church and giving his life to Jesus and finding a new occupation. Not because I waved a Bible in his face and said, you don't know truth. Not because I tried to shame him into the kingdom of God. But simply showing love as a physical act towards another human being. 
I'm saying, like, we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have all the great wisdom in the world. If you have love, you've got what you need. And love is action. It's action. He says this. 1 John 3, 17. He says, but if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart again. If you got a lawnmower and you see your neighbor's lawn needs to be mowed, and you don't... You just close and talk bad about them with the neighborhood association because they won't mow their lawn when you've got free time because you're retired and you could go do it. How does God's love abide in them? Unless they got a big lawn and then <laughs> you on your own. He's saying if, if you see someone in need and, and you, you, you don't take action, how does God, how does God live in that? There, there's one place where Jesus, this is describing, this is describing when we go to the great throne of judgment. And it's this idea, Jesus tells him, he says, when I was naked, you didn't give me clothes. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And when I was in prison, you never visited me. And the people looked at him and they're like, Lord, when were you naked? When were you hungry? And when were you in prison? And he says this, he says, when you do this to the least of these, you do it unto me. What I'm saying, church, is it does not matter how spiritual you are if you don't have love that looks like an action. Let me read this. If, if that doesn't work, I'll read the Bible for you. 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, If I speak in tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You can speak in tongues all day long, and I love speaking in tongues. But if you don't have love, it's pointless. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, you're super spiritual. You walk around church prophesying to people, and, and you can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and, have, and I have faith that can move mountains. When I pray for people, they fall all out all over the place. Like, when, when I pray for it, like, I believe God can do it. Like, you have the gift of faith, but if you do not have love, I am nothing is what he says. If I give, I'm really generous. If I give all my possessions to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is the spiritual pulse of your walk with God. Not how many Bible verses you memorize. And you need to memorize Bible verses. But love. And the best way to have a healthy pulse is to simply raise it for a few minutes every day. Imagine what would happen if you just did 20 minutes of exercise a day for your body. Just 20 minutes, raising your heart rate. It would, like, I get it. I get it. That's all muscle. <laughs> hey, I, I get it. If, if I would just exercise for 20 minutes a day, that'd go away. Because here's the deal. What creates a healthy heart is just exercising. I can go on a diet all day long, but that doesn't improve my heart. 
what's going to improve my heart is when I just raise my, raise my, my beat a little bit. I'm telling somebody today, like if, if you're like, man, I, I just really wish I was a more generous person. It doesn't happen from praying to be generous. Lord, would you make me more generous? No, 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 he doesn't do that. You just be more generous. Lord, I wish you would make me more compassionate. No. You just choose to show compassion to other people. Like, like yeah, he, but I'm just saying, like, like, this idea of love, it's not some sort of a spirit. Like, I've got the spiritual gift of being a kind person. No, 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 no. You're a believer in Jesus. He's loved you. And with the love he loved you, you love other people. This is the pulse. It's what a healthy walk with God looks like. The problem is we often want to check our pulse, but we want to talk the whole time. We want to be seen as super spiritual. I'm saying, don't try to be seen as super spiritual. Have a healthy pulse by raising your heart rate just for a few minutes. Just try it. We're doing uh, our serve day on July 10th. Go to the connection table and be like, hey, I want to go serve in the community. We have serve opportunities here at the church all the time. Just be like, hey, I want to serve other people. Why? Because when we intentionally raise our heart rate, our pulse gets better. We, we don't wait until, as the band comes, we don't wait until we feel like it to love other people. Anyone can do that. That's not what your heart does. Your heart doesn't wait until it feels like it before it starts beating. The pulse that you, that's keeping blood going through your body is because your heart is designed. It's going off of design, not emotion. C.S. Lewis, the great writer and thinker, wrote this. Love in the Christian sense does not mean an emotion. It is a state, not of feelings, but of the will. That state of the will which we have naturally about ourselves, we naturally have a will of self-preservation, a will for our best interest. He says, that state which we naturally have about ourselves, and we must learn to have about other people. It's a choice. It's a decision. I remember the 1992 Olympics. I remember them because I was a teenager working at McDonald's. And the Olympics for Barcelona 1992 were plastered all over your Big Mac box. And in, in these Olympics, there was an athlete named Derek Redman. He was a sprinter from Great Britain. And during the 400-meter semifinals, he blew a hamstring. Now, here's the deal. He wasn't expected to get a gold medal. But he had broken speed records for Europe, and he was expected to medal. He had spent his entire life up to that point working towards a singular moment in Barcelona, 1992. This is what happens to Derek Redmond. 
is in lane five. 400 meter race. Right now, his hamstring goes out. The mo most important moment in his life. All of his competitors move beyond him. gets up and he begins to hobble finishing the race in his lane and there's this great testimony to like the courage of an Olympian but what I love is what you're about to see it's the love of a father that breaks through security that jumps the fence you just, just a moment ago you could see him running down the stadium jumping the fence right now you'll see him come beside his son and this gets me you guys he's watched that boy work his life he's watched his son struggle early mornings and late nights for a dream and that dad comes beside his son waves off the officials and he tells them you're not going to make my son stop and he keeps telling him you got you to get out of here because my son's going to finish this race I know for me the first time I ever saw this I was 12 and it didn't move me at all but when I was in my early 30s I saw it again and I'm not like an emotional guy that cries a lot but when I saw that in my 30s like when we get older we get emotional sentimental and cry in your 30s as a man not, not so much but when I saw this, I began to like inside of me, tears began to pour out because, because there's something unique that I'm seeing happen right here that you don't get to see happen just every day. Like it's like part of my heart comes alive when I saw that. It, part of my heart just, just awakens when it sees this, this dad break the rules do what he shouldn't do just to come alongside of his son and run. like I don't get emotional like that when I see just somebody running a race I, I don't get emotional like that when I when I see a, a strong man do a strong man competition but there's just something unique when I when I see this father who shows us that that the the true strength isn't strength of muscle it's not strength of power it's a strength of, of the heart because in this moment, he's doing what we're all supposed to do. We're all supposed to love and carry the people that are close to us. Whether they're family or their neighbors or their friends, we're supposed to do this. And, and in this moment, he taps into something primal, something inside my heart that has a desire to be spiritually healthy, that says this, that we are to love. And love is not a feeling. Love is something that we do. Love is doing something. It is laying down your life for someone else. Love is not based on the money in my bank account. Like, love isn't 
that having an exciting life isn't about the kind of truck I drive, the house I live in. It's not about the guns I shoot. It's, it's at its deepest point. It's really about how I lay down my life for other people. It's how I inconvenience myself, how I accept pain in my life for those that God has placed in my path. In, in this moment, this father is inconveniencing himself to be by his son and to lift him up. And I'm saying that's what I want with my life. I want to lay down my life for other people, but not so that I can get credit, not so that I can boast, but truly because Jesus Christ, while we were still sinners, while I was still against him, while I was still at odds with him, when my life did not reflect anything that would make him proud, he gave up his life for me. He inconvenienced himself. He received pain so that I could live. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of spiritual help I want in my life. Anything that looks remotely close to accepting and receiving the great work of Jesus in my life. Would you stand with me all across the room? Love is not about us feeling good towards other people. Love is us doing good towards other people. It's about us inconveniencing ourselves for something that really matters a lot to someone else. And I think a lot of the times we use what we cannot do as an excuse for the things we could do. It's the evidence that you have a life full of Jesus. So right now, all across the room, just raise your hands if, if you, if that's the kind of life you want. Raise your hands right now. Father, right now, I pray that your great love that you had for us would not just, would not just fall off of us like water on a duck's back, but God, we would absorb experience your love. Not just that we would experience your love, but God, we, we would truly love those that you placed in, the, in our lives. Not that we would wait for an emotional nod to be able to reach out to somebody, but God, we would truly embody all that you are, that we would lay down our lives, that we would inconvenience ourselves, that we would experience difficulty and pain to just demonstrate your love towards someone else. Lord, I pray that this week you'd use every hand that's raised, every heart that's lifted. We are yours. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, I have this question for you. I know at the beginning of my message I said, if you're a believer, it wasn't for you. But as I was talking somewhere in there, you thought, man, I realized that this Christianity thing is not what you thought it was. And you're like, if that's the kind of God we're actually talking about, I'm all in. 
If that's really what we're talking about, I'm all in. And I want to get right with that God. If that's you right now, everyone else's head is bowed, their eyes are closed. But if that's you and you're ready to get right with Jesus, throw your hand up high so I can see it. Boldly. Come on. Yes. Come on. I like that. Come on. No shame. Bold. Right now, here's what we're going to do. We are going to repent and believe. If you just raise your hand and say, I want to get right with that God. Here's how you do it. You repent and believe. Repent means turn around. Just walk the other direction. So we're going to turn away from the things we think, do, and say that don't please God. And then we're going to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we do, his blood will cleanse us from all sin. And he'll put us in a right standing with the Father. So right now, pray something like this. We're going to repent and believe. Pray something like this. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. Lord, I'm turning away from them right now. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. Right now, I'm placing all of my hope and faith in him. Say these words. Jesus, be the Lord of my life, and I'm going to follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. There's a bunch of people that just made the best decision, best decision of your lives. Best decision you could have made. I'm so proud of you. In just a moment, we're going to do... Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys and let's continue to love God, love people and change the world.